We have been in our series, the Trader Series now, fourth weekend, and wrapping up the series today. We've been talking about trading in uh, the American dream for the kingdom dream. And you've heard us uh, talk about the, uh, the idea that, that those two dreams are not synonymous. They're, they're not the same. Um, and Jesus spent quite a bit of time painting pictures for us about what it means to walk in the way of Christ and how we, how we live our lives uh, in, in the kingdom of heaven. And so we, we've talked about the fact that we, we, were a people who are, we are a people who are created on purpose and for a purpose. And that um, just like Jesus was tempted uh, in the wilderness, you and I are tempted to, uh, to walk away from the mission that he has for us and to chase things that are empty. And we, we looked at it last week. We talked about consumerism and the emptiness that's found in that. And uh, today we're talk- talking about work as worship and connecting the dots from a Sunday morning to our Monday through Friday, our, 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 our nine to five, whatever our job is, um, paid or unpaid, uh, whatever role we're in, and seeing it as worship. Now, we've been, every week we've been trying to give you a snapshot of, uh, of what a trader looks like, and I've got Brandon Kalpwicki with me uh, this morning. As we talk about work as worship, Brandon, tell us about what you do. What is your job Monday through Friday? My Monday through Friday job is that I work in the field of law enforcement, and much of my career has been spent uh, specializing in the investigation of child abuse. So, pretty intense job, and um, how, how do you connect what you do during the week with gathering in this place and worshiping here? How does, what does worship look like for you during the week? Well, I know that uh, I'm very blessed to have the job that I, that I have because... As a Christ follower, uh, I know that we all serve a God of justice. And so Monday through Friday when I go to work, I work in the field of justice. And so uh, there are many difficult things I have to do during the course of investigating child abuse allegations, but I'm always able to, to reflect back and say that just as scripture tells us, uh, pursuing justice is an act of true worship. And so on a daily basis, I can say the work that I do is in itself worship when I do it for God. And then you and your family are doing some trading uh, above and beyond that. You're, 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 you're using what you do in the workplace and offering that in a trade. Talk to us about that as well. Well, recently I got connected with an organization called International Justice Mission. And IJM works around the world in places where justice systems do not function well to protect the poor or the oppressed. And so God's given me an opportunity to use my particular skill set and experience uh, to uh, assist IJM in their mission by uh, hopefully doing some international travel and working with field offices around the world to provide uh, training and investigative support uh, in places where systems aren't currently functioning well. Thanks, Brandon, for what you do. Would you thank Brandon for just sharing the story? I, I love Brandon's story because you can, you can hear the connecting of the dots between a gathering like this and what he's doing during the week. And sometimes, sometimes those dots are easy to connect and sometimes they're not so easy to connect. But one of the things I want to just make sure we understand is that we, we don't want to be a people who do weekend worship and don't see a connect from what happens here on a weekend or on a Sunday morning, in this case, to what we're doing during the week. That, that, that there is this false divide, this false dichotomy sometimes that's created between what's called the sacred and secular. And honestly, some pastors breathe life into that and make, make, might make you feel that, you know, what, what happens during the week is, well, that's, that's good, but it's just a necessity and the real important stuff happens after hours. 
And what I want you to, to hear and see this morning is I want you to see that God has placed you purposely in whatever role you're in, paid or unpaid, and that role has meaning, and I want you to see that you can worship there just like you can worship here. It's, it's different, but it's, there's, there's not this divide, that there's this connect. And, and by the way, as I talk about this, um, I, you know, I, I feel like this is one of those topics that I can speak to with some credibility, because before I, w- I was doing ministry in, 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 in the church or pastoral ministry, I was doing ministry in the marketplace, I worked in the, in in the in, in the world where uh, in the marketplace world where I did doing jobs and and uh, experienced some of the frustration of how do I connect what what I'm giving most of my life to and then what's happening on weekends or on weeknights in my church. So I I, I think I can give some perspective to this and help us connect the dots between our weekend and our weekdays, between a 9.30 service and our nine to fives. So let me just start in Genesis chapter two and read this verse for you. It may be our launching point because sometimes we have an, we have a, a, an, an unhealthy perspective of work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's why I'm starting with this verse, is because when it comes to work, some of you uh, maybe have, have, have misunderstood the fact that work is a result of the curse in the garden. But when you look at this verse, what you see is that work existed before the whole fruit incident, all right? That work, Adam was a gardener. He had a purpose. He had meaning, meaning he had a job. Now, sin did enter into the world, and when we think about sin, we think about it affecting people, but it affected everything. All of creation was impacted, and sin literally means to miss the mark, and so yes, we miss the mark, but everything misses the mark, including our work. Work has consequences, there's consequences now to our work that weren't, weren't intended to be there. For Adam, he's a gardener, so this, the worst possible news for him to hear was the ground is going to be hard, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. So that, that's it's just a distortion of, of what work was intended to be. And I, I'm just going to throw up on the screen some different lenses that these distortions, and I think that you get, a, you get an idea of these, even as you do your job, because for some people... The job that you are in, the role that you are playing, work is the enemy. I mean, you work because you have to live. You work to live. You just do your job because, you know, it's a necessity. And you just do your, I mean, you get to Wednesday and it's hump day. Isn't that a great commercial Geico has out there? Hump day. We're going to get over the hump. And we just want to get to the weekend. And, and, and even um, some songwriters have picked up on our frustration, our weariness with work. Because work is the enemy. And, and listen to some of these lyrics. Some, uh, well, most not so profound, but they capture the heart. Well, I've been working in this factory for now on 15 years. All this time, I watched my woman drowning in a pool of tears. And I've seen a lot of good folks die who had a lot of bills to pay. I'd give the shirt right off my back if I had the guts to say, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. 
right? I'm just, just, I just take the job. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Or Todd Rundgren wrote this song, every day when I get home from work, I feel so frustrated. The boss is a jerk. I get my sticks. I go out to the shed and I pound on that drum like it was the boss's head. <laughs> Todd has some issues. Loverboy sang in the 1980s, everybody's working for the weekend. I mean, that weekend is the destination. You're, the stuff that's happening during the week, that's just, you know, that's just stuff you have to put up with because work is the enemy. And, and that's why a, a, a TV show like the, op, the, the Office would last for six, six, you know, six years. We watch a TV show and we see that, we laugh and we cry because that we see our, our, our workplace in those very same, uh, through the same lenses. Work is the enemy. My kids, when they were younger, when I went to the office, when I, when I, uh, when I worked, my kids would say, Daddy, Daddy, don't, please don't go. Work was the enemy because that meant I wouldn't be with them. Dad, Dad would be gone all day. And uh, in, in the 1980s, a survey was done, one out of three people hated their job. In the, in the first decade of the 2000s, another survey was done, over, it's like 2.2 people now hate their job. 2.2 out of three. You know, over 65% of people hate their job. For the majority of the workforce, work is the enemy. You work to live. You just got to do it. And, and by the way, when you think about it, um, that, that, that's kind of a, a, a damaging way to live out your life. You're, you're going to spend most of your life working. And, and, and if work is the enemy, I mean, that, this is why leisure time and vacation is held up as, a, as a, almost an idol. We just got to get out of work, and I just, we just want to get to leisure time, want to get the time off. And that stuff, that's all good. I'm not saying leisure time is bad. But when work is the enemy, leisure time is oh, it's all about the vacation. Or we hold up the nirvana of retirement. If I just get to retirement, then I can get out of this, this enemy living kind of life that's you know, called work. And, and, uh, and it's, again, it's, it's pretty twisted because you're going to give more than half of your life, the majority of your life, you're going to give to a job or to a role. You'll be teaching. You'll be an electrician, a construction worker, a mom, a, a dad. You're going to be a janitor or you're, whatever you do. And if your goal is giving half of your life to whatever that job is, half of your time to that job, and you're doing it in such a way that you just can't wait to get out of it so you can do something else, that's, it's just... It's, it's a distortion, isn't it? It's like, I'm gonna get, I want to get to retirement. By the way, I don't know how my retirement fund is going to be. I don't even know if I'm going to be healthy to enjoy it. I don't even know what life is going to look like. But I don't want to be doing this because this is bad. Take this job and shove it. You know, everybody's working for the weekend. Retirement is the nirvana. Work is the enemy. Here's another lens that you look through. Work is not the enemy. Work is my lover. I, I don't work to live. I live to work. I love my job. I feel like the best of who I am is leveraged in the marketplace. I, when I do my job and I, I use the passions, the talents, the gifts that I have, people, they, they say I do good at it. They, they look at me and they, they give me compliments. They, I, I get all kinds of affirmation in the workplace. And, uh, and, and that's, that's not bad inherently. It's just that what happens is, is that when work becomes the lover, when work isn't, when, when home isn't going so well, then it's, I, I'm going to give my time to where I get affirmation. I'm going to avoid the places in life that are painful. I'm going to go to work. I love work. And I want to give my time there. 
And, and so work becomes uh, the lover. And, and then what ha- ends up happening is, I don't know if this has been in existence since the garden, but this work is my lover then creates a, a bit of an identity crisis because we identify who we are by what we do. The doing being part of us gets all messed up and confused. This is the whole cocktail party thing or the sitting on a plane and someone asks you the question, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? What do you do? Well, I'm a teacher. I'm a principal. You know, I, I'm a computer tech. I, I do web design. Uh, when that, that's our starting point. But imagine being asked a question, hey, what's your name? Who are you? We would be like, who am I? Man, how much time do you got? I mean, this, this is... That's a pretty deep question. Exactly, because we've avoided who we are and we've confused who we are with what we do. We, 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 and oftentimes we don't know who we are, which is why when we get to retirement and we step into retirement, people are so confused and frustrated and, and depressed even because work is my lover. And then, by the way, if, you're, if work is your lover and you live to work and your job, your, your, your marketplace is, is downsizing or they're laying off or something bad happens and you lose your job, your lover just jilted you. And then you feel rejection and depression. And you're wondering, who am I? Work is your enemy, work is your lover, and these are two distortions of, of two ways that our work misses the mark as a result of, of the fall. So what I wanna do is, if work is our lover and work is the enemy, we wanna set that aside because if, if, if work is your lover, your weekend and your, and your weekdays are gonna, are gonna be kinda of messed up. If work is the enemy, there's really gonna be some confusion there. But I want you to see that work is not your enemy. Work shouldn't be your lover. Work is worship. And you can connect, Christian work connects worship on a weekend like we are, like we're doing together uh, this morning. It, it, we can connect that with what we're, we are doing during the week. So what could this look like? And, and again, this is something that we are, we are so confused by. I mean, what is Christian work supposed to look like? I mean, if you cut hair, does it mean opening a salon and naming it a cut above? Or, is it, or does it mean, hey, I'm going to open a coffee shop and call it Hebrews, because that'll be my testimony, that's Christian work? <laughs> or does it mean awkwardly working in evangelistic kind of pitches as you make in your sales calls? Or does it mean that in the workplace I put a poster up and, to announce a Bible study? Or does it mean that when I, when I, these, I forward all these emails to all my coworkers about this, this random sighting of the Virgin Mary in Ecuador, and just anything that's got any kind of religious overtime, just forward it. You know who you are, okay? <laughs> we forward it to everyone. Is that Christian work? In 2004, an American Airlines pilot was flying cross-country on a flight. They're in the air, and he gets on the intercom and says to all his passengers... He says, look, hey, if you're on this flight uh, and you are a Christian, would you just slip up your hand? And, and the Christians are, are wondering, oh, man, what's, this gonna, what's going on here? And so you got some hands going up in the plane. And now, now hold those hands high if you're a Christian on this American Airlines flight, because here's what I want you to do. If your hand is not up, I want you to have a conversation with a Christian whose hand is up and ask them about their faith. And, um, and the pilot said, and I'll even walk down the aisle every now and then, and, and I'll talk to you about, about my faith. Now, we might be impressed 
by his boldness and zeal. But let me just tell you, that's just flat out freaky. You're on a plane and you're getting ready to meet Jesus. All right? Put the two together. That's just, uh, that's, that's really unnerving for people. It, we, I think we have, we have so little understanding of what it means to be a Christian in the marketplace. What is it, what's it look like? What's worship look like? Do I have to, just, do I have to be weird? Do I have to put posture? What does Christian work look like? What does work as worship look like in the, in the marketplace? What does ministry in the marketplace look like? What's, it, what's worship look like raising toddlers? What's, what's, what's worship look like owning your own business? I, I just want to give you some pictures. Work as worship. Walk through these. The first thing I want you to know is that what you do has meaning. It doesn't matter if you think your job is significant or insignificant. Your job has meaning. The German reformer, Martin Luther, in the Reformation, was talking about the Lord's Prayer and that one line where it says, give us this day our daily bread. And what he was talking to to his church about, he was saying that, you know, give us this day our daily bread. When we have bread on the table, God is caring for us. He's answering that prayer. But you need to understand, the farmer planted the seed. The farmer tended the crop, harvested the crop. The seed was purchased by a baker, and it was ground into flour. And the baker made bread, and the bread was given to a store owner, and the store owner sold the bread in the marketplace. And you bought it, and you have it on your table, and you say, thank God for the bread on my table. But what you need to understand is, is that the farmer, the baker, and the storekeeper all played a part in God caring for his creation. There's meaning in the farmer's work, There's meaning in the baker's work, and there's meaning in the store owner's work. And what you and I need to understand is that your job has meaning as you do your job. Maybe you own a business, and you're caring for God's creation by providing a place for people to work. Or perhaps you're a school janitor, and you're just just preparing a place, keeping a place clean so that students can excel and so teachers can teach. And that's part of God caring for his creation. You might be a welder. You might be a plumber. You you might work in a state office. Your job has meaning. Now, you need to understand this, that Jesus understood this very well. Jesus comes to earth as a baby. Now, realize there are many religions on on our planet, many ideas of of who God is, and in, in, in all religions other than Christianity, God coming to earth looks very different than a baby being born in Bethlehem. In Eastern religions, it's avatars coming with superpowers. In Greek mythology, it's, it's these the interesting creatures that have certain uh, powers. But Jesus comes completely vulnerable, a baby born in Bethlehem. He's just human, fully human, fully divine. Set aside his divine prerogatives in the incarnation, and we hear all kinds of stuff and, and, you know, from birth to age two, but then age two to about age 30 in Jesus' life, we really hear nothing, and then age 30, we got Jesus' ministry. Why do we get so much information about Jesus' ministry on our planet and so much information about his birth, but so little from age two to age 30? I mean, a little incident when he's 12 years old in the temple because it's unusual that he's, he's talking to teachers there. Why is nothing written about Jesus from age 2 to age 30? Could it be 
that his life was so normal, no one thought it was worth writing about. It looked like everybody else. Which is why when Jesus does start his ministry, the people are scratching their head going, man, isn't this Joseph's kid? Isn't this the carpenter? And in that year, whenever, in those years, whenever Jesus is beginning to learn his trade, don't you think that as he's fixing a chair, perhaps building a table, and he knows he's going to the cross, he knows his mission is to seek and save the lost, that he's not thinking to himself, what I, why am I carving utensils? Why am, I, why am I fixing a roof? There are people dying out there. Why, why am I giving so much of my life, the largest percentage of my physical life here on this planet, to stuff that isn't connected to the cross? Well, the reality is that Jesus experienced physical pain, emotional pain, and I believe he experienced vocational pain, just like you and I. In every way that we are tempted, he was tempted. And I, I believe that Jesus, as he's doing his job, had moments where like, why? okay, now why am I doing this? Just like you and I do. But as he fixed tables and made chairs and made threshing forks and whatever other carpentry work he did, he was God's hands caring for creation. There was meaning to what he was doing. He wasn't just filling time so he could someday do the thing that he really wanted to do. There's meaning in your job. There's purpose in what you give yourself to. Don't believe a lie. It doesn't matter. Don't believe that your best ministry happens after hours. In many ways, I am jealous of you. Those of you who are in the marketplace, moms raising kids, not so jealous. Those of you in the marketplace, because <laughs> that's real work. Those of you in the, in the marketplace, you, you get to have conversations with people who are asking fantastic questions, who are processing life. I miss that. I, you know, I've got, I, got a, I have a great staff I get to work with, but you know, we're, we're all believers. Sometimes we question that from each other, but we're all believers. But I, I, I miss those conversations. Your job has meaning. Here's the second thing I want you to know what work as worship, Christian work can look like. It is to be done to high standards. I believe that Christian employees should be the best employees in the marketplace. They may not be the best talented. They, they may not be the, the highly skilled, because God meets out those gifts as he chooses. But I think to whatever level we have been given gifts, that we are called to be the very best at what we do. That excellence is what we are called to. And I believe that, that, um, that, it, that well, I think that, that at such a level that, 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 that businesses would want to be hiring Christian workers, that we would have a reputation. When I worked for Simpson College, and I first started working at United Parcel Service, the reason I got the job was because United Parcel Service wanted to hire men and women from, from a Bible college because there was an expectation that work ethic would be different and that they'd show up and they'd work hard and they wouldn't fudge the time card. And for the most part, that they were right. There was a desire to have a Christian worker. And let me just say this very bluntly and to the point. If, 
If you are not showing up to work on time, if you are calling in sick when you're not sick, if you're in the workplace and you're a complainer and a grumbler and maybe you're even insubordinate, maybe you have an attitude problem, if you're one of those employees who other employees avoid, would you do us all a favor? When you get to the break room, would you please keep your mouth shut? Because... When you're, when you're doing all the Jesus talk in the break room and you don't show up for work and everyone else is caring for your load, or you're a grumbler and complainer, you know what everyone else is thinking? This is who he is or she is on the weekend, apparently. But man, when they're here Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, it's a completely different story. Do us all a favor and shut up in the break room. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. What Paul is saying is that, look, Corinthians, people living, going, being the church of Corinth, God's grace is evident in you, and people are reading you, and what they're reading is good. And many of you in the room, could the same thing could be said. Thank you for living. Thank you for connecting your Monday through Friday with your weekend worship time. Thank you for being a letter of which people are reading. But for, for maybe some of us in the room, we need to look at that letter and, and do some editing. We need to... Our witness in the workplace needs to match who we say we are in the weekend. We need to connect those dots. People are reading you, and they're coming to conclusions about who Jesus is. So Christian work, work, in the, work as worship, looks like high standards, holding myself to high standards. So it has meaning. We, we have, is done to high standards, and then Christian work or work as worship has perspective, uh, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. That first line where it says you're working for the Lord, not for human masters, the reality is, is that some of those people were owned by people. They were slaves. And he's saying to them, look, if, if your master treats you poorly or your employer treats you poorly, if your boss is a complete jerk, if your boss is a total jack wagon, you cannot just excuse poor performance in the workplace because they don't deserve it. My boss doesn't deserve it. They, they treat us poorly, so we're, we're, I'm, just, I'm just not going to give my all there. You need to understand. I mean, Colossians chapter 3 is saying, look... That may be your boss, but what, what the scriptures t tell us and teach us is that no, you're not working for him or her. You're working for Christ, and he's watching, and there will be a reward, and there will be inheritance. And by the way, there's no favoritism. We need to have perspective that work is worship, and Jesus is paying attention. We have our annual reviews in the workplace. There will be a review when this life is over as regard to our work. We don't talk about that much. But this is why we need to connect what's going on during the week 
and on the weekend. Last one. Work has meaning, it's done to high standards, has perspective, and then it is indeed missional. You see, when you start with the intercom on the plane and you don't have these other things in the, in the front end, then, then, then it becomes kind of weird. But if you, are, if you know you have purpose and you're living out your life in the, in the marketplace to a high standard and you've got the right perspective, you're working with people that you, maybe you don't even like who are, who are rude to you and mean to you, that, but you're, still, you're not repaying evil with evil, but repaying evil with good, when you get to this last point and you missionalize your marketplace, there's the, the ground is soft. Is ground is soft to be, to be missional. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Their church was in Jerusalem post-Pentecost. Their church was growing in Jerusalem. Persecution begins, and the church scatters. And by the way, as the church scatters, the church multiplies wherever they go. People are coming to Christ. But where are the pastors? Where are the, the church leaders, the apostles? They're back in Jerusalem. So who's doing all the, the missionalizing of Judea and Samaria? You, people who, who have jobs and skills and trades and as they're fleeing for their life with their family because they're, they're connected to Jesus Christ, they're going and they're telling other people about Jesus Christ. Do you know that the three largest church planting centers in the ancient world were Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria? And in each of those cities, not one of those churches was planted by an apostle. Paul and Peter and others went to those places because they heard about the, the gracious work of Christ in those cities. Those churches, those significant church planting, missionary sending churches in those significant cities were planted by normal everyday people who built homes and cleaned up you know, schools and who wrote books and painted pictures and wrote songs. People just like you. And they missionalized the marketplace with or without a degree. And they did it effectively. They connected their weekend worship with what they were doing during the week. And that's what, he's got, that's what God has called us to. Now let me just wrap up, ask a couple questions here. Just, these are the good questions to process on your own, maybe in your small group, in, in community with, with friends. Uh, where's the meaning in my work? H- how do I connect what I'm doing with God's care for his creation? It's, it's pretty important that you do this because this will transform work as enemy to work as worship. Okay, I, I didn't know that when I did this that I was actually living out God's purposes to care for people in this, in this way. Where's the meaning of my work? Second question, what kind of letter is my workplace reading? What, what kind of employee are you? What kind of employer are you? What kind of letter is my workplace reading? If your mom raising kids, what kind of letter are my kids reading? Hey, we're, we're not perfect, we're... we're we're all going to feel like we fall short and stuff, but what we want to do is we want to continue to connect our Monday through Friday with our weekend. Last question is this, how can I appropriately missionalize my marketplace? How, how do I live out my life of worship in the marketplace and, 
and do it with a missional mindset where my mind is is in sync with the mind of Christ, or my heart has affections for the things that Christ has affections for, or my hands are, are given to the things that Jesus would give himself to if he were in this job. How can I appropriately missionalize my marketplace? In this trader series, what we're, what we're getting to is, you see, pursuing the American dream is, it, we're not concerned about answering those questions. But we're living the the kingdom dream. We're trying to live out the picture that Christ has painted for us in the marketplace. And by the way, this is why Jesus, when he told parables, that he always used pictures from our marketplace context. This is why in the book of Acts, you have 40 miracles in the book of Acts. 39 of them are outside the church context. He's, He's called us to be salt and light. And trade in the me, 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 more, more, more approach to living and embrace the call that he's placed on you.